where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. You know, that means I have four special guests. Bonnie D. in the house, happy to be here. Have we got a topic for you today? It's on everybody's minds, everybody's lips, and a lot of you might be part of what we're calling the Great Resignation Era. Let me give you a couple of clues on what we're talking about. I have a couple of quotes, and then I'll ask my four esteemed guests to introduce themselves. So buzz number one, the term great resignation, you may not be aware, was likely coined by Anthony Klotz, K-L-O-T-Z, a psychologist and professor at Texas A&M back in May 2021. That's almost a year ago. He told Business Insider that events like the global pandemic make people step back and rethink their lives. In some cases, that can cause people to change up their careers. We know change up can mean Stopping, dropping out, going somewhere else, doing something different, and companies will have to adjust. That was a good harbinger for what's happening. Buzz number two, we have Carrie Brown with us, one of my favorite people. And Carrie is, I'm quoting her in an article she wrote on Forbes, and the title of the article is, Should We Resign Ourselves? to the great resignation. And we'll see what she answered in regard to her own question. Buzz number three is uh, an article written by a lady named Ariane Cohen in Bloomberg.com. And she gives tips on how to engineer a smooth exit. I thought that was kind of cool. Buzz number four is an, an article, actually it's a newsletter called Work in Progress. I think that's tongue in cheek by Derek Thompson. It's a newsletter for the Atlantic. And he says, a lasting effect of the pandemic will be a revolution in worker expectations. That's very important for our conversation. And Derek Thompson, here's my quote number five. He wrote an article called The Three Myths of the Great Resignation. Listen to this. Here's the subtitle. What if I told you the big quit wasn't really about quitting? And that was for The Atlantic. I want my guests to raise your hand and wave when I call your name. We have Carrie Brown. Hello, Carrie. Welcome back. We have Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity. It's been years. How the heck are you? We have Francis Taplett with us, a newcomer. So happy to see you, Francis. And we have Dr. Scott Dust, and he told me not to call him doctor. So Scott Dust, welcome, welcome, welcome. And our topic today is, it's a take on a country western song, the future of the great resignation. Take this job and it. I'm just going to leave that. You all got what that is when the curls fly. You know what that word is. So welcome again, Bonnie D in the house. Happy to be here. Let's go around the table and have everybody introduce themselves. And about halfway through the show, I will tell you about our special sponsor today. NordVPN is back and I have a special offer for all of my listeners and viewers. Carrie Brown, you're up first. Carrie, thank you for embracing the topic I asked you to talk about today. And you brought these three wonderful people and I'm very grateful to you. So Carrie, catch us up. What are you? What have you been up to? What are you doing? And where are you, Carrie? Welcome. Well, Bonnie, thank you for having me. I I joined the Great Resignation. So just before I dropped that article, I uh, made the change in my career. So I'm currently looking for where I'm headed to next. But in terms of this conversation, I've been focused on people for the last 15, 20 years. So talking about what people are doing and how they're behaving in the future of work is is part of what I do. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Carrie, where are you right now? Come on, give us a little geo geo. Well, since I'm here. looking for a job, I'm using the new uh, the new way of working. I'm in Vail, Colorado. So I'm working right now. And later on this afternoon when I'm not working, I will be playing and making the most of that time. And you may be networking while you're playing. I have a feeling Truth. you're are, we're always on with what we're trying to do, aren't we, Carrie? Always on. You think? Indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Carrie. Let's go to our second guest today. We have Bill Jensen. Bill, you were on a couple of my shows a few years ago, and I'm so happy Carrie said, let's bring back Bill Jensen, and here you are. So catch us up. What have you been up to, Bill? Welcome. Bonnie, thrilled to be back with all of you again. The gang is back together. Uh, I've been doing the same thing I've been doing for 35 years, working in change management, uh, CEO of the Jensen Group. Uh, related to the great resignation and how we all did introspection during these two years, I am recently moved from New Jersey, uh, to, and family became super important to all of us, mm -hmm. uh, to Long Island. I moved in with my sister and brother-in-law because uh, four years ago, my sister suffered a brain aneurysm. So I am helping with her care. So part of the great resignation is not just about work, it's about family and self-care. And we're going to talk about all of that later. Thank you. You have to tell me where on Long Island. I'm a Long Island girl. Bill, where Dix are Hill, you? Dix Hills in Suffolk County. Oh, Dix Hills. I was in Great Neck for 32 years, if that's <laughs> that's not too far away. So nice to see you and thank you and, and uh, to you on Caring Thank for you. family, very important. I don't think people are talking about that as much as they probably need to. It, during the pandemic, it was a burden. Oh, I got to homeschool my kids. Oh, I got to take care of this. Oh, we're living in this apartment and we actually have to look at each other and talk to each other. But th the idea of caring, I like that. Self-care and family care. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. And let's go to Francis Taplet, brand new to the show. Francis? Well, thank you are for you? including me. Oh, pleasure. Talk to me. Who are you? What do you do? Perfect. Well, I'm Frances uh, Taplet, and I am currently newly started at Eightfold.ai, which is an AI software company looking to revolutionize and change the talent management space. So talent acquisition and talent management, and how do we find the right job for everyone in the world? Huge in the great resignation, right? We've had a lot of moving around. And so how do you help people to find that right next role for them with a real eye to diversity and inclusion? Um, before that, I was chief people officer at the Broad Institute at Harvard and MIT, which if you've never heard of them, they processed 25 million COVID-19 tests in the last two years. So we were, we were behind a lot of that, and I got to hire a lot of new talent to do that. Um, and prior to that, spent about a decade plus at the Boston Consulting Group in their people and organization practice. And Bill, you've inspired me to share. I have two little girls that I had the privilege of homeschooling and then thankfully uh, taking to school um, in the last uh, couple of years. And we moved home to be next door to my parents during the pandemic. So change and focus on family also. Interesting. Oh, this is a this is a side benefit of having all of you. Didn't know about this. Didn't plan on this. This is wonderful. Thank you, Francis. Nice to meet you, Francis. Are you finding that when you go to people and say, "Hey, you'd be a great candidate for this and that job," they're saying, "I don't want to come back in from the cold, if you will." Are you finding a resistance, or what? What do you just quickly? What do you see? I don't think I'm finding a resistance. I think what we're seeing is a desire to control what that role will look like, and you know, it's it's this notion of personal agency and and ownership of what your role will be and where you'll draw the boundaries. And that's not true for everybody in the labor, labor force, but certainly at the sort of more white collar roles, that is definitely true. Interesting. As one of the opening quotes, one of my buzz quotes was worker expectations. 
Ah, employee-centric. Ah, I remember back in the day jobs where I was told, you're never going to get a raise. Don't ask for it. You can't leave before five. How dare you? We're not reviewing you for the next two years. You're lucky to have a job. Shut up, put up, do your work, and show up. And that was those were the rules mm -hmm. from the top. That was the, the climate. We didn't say, oh, it's toxic. We said, yeah, we're glad to have a job, and we hope nobody yells at us, and we hope we actually get a paycheck. So, duh, we're going to leave that one on the table, but of I got stories to tell. Carrie's heard too many of them. Scott Dust, also a newcomer. So happy to meet you. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm already excited after hearing just the introductions. So, <laughs> so many great themes of, of what I'm interested in and, and what I'm excited to talk about. So I'm here with Cloverleaf, uh, which is a coaching application platform that helps facilitate coaching insights for everyone, right? Like coaching is really important, but a lot of times it's not really accessible to the masses. And so by being automated and, and leveraging technology, we're enabling people to grow as individuals as well as within teams and be better leaders and managers by having all these insights in the flow of work. Um, and the reason that I'm attached to this organization and so excited about the organization is because of my other association, which is as a professor at Miami University Farmer School of Business. And I've been teaching and researching teams for 10 years. And to be able to apply the scientific method and approach some of these conversations from an evidence-based perspective is really important. Um, so my, my goal is to always try and help bridge the gap between science and practice for all things organizational behavior. And I think this big trend towards this post-COVID great resignation need for flexibility is a really crucial moment to reevaluate a lot of what we know about organizational behavior in all sorts of different facets. So I think this is just a perfect time to have this type of conversation. Thank you very much, Scott. Great insights. And there's another key word we can float for the show is flexibility. Expectations, flexibility, employee-centric, people-centric, if you will. Wow. Big, big change in the, in the concept of why we work, how we work, where we work, what we do, why we do it, for whom we do it, the reasons. And we know there's been comments in the past few years about millennials. Well, they're all grown up and they're in their 30s and they're running companies and they've got more money than probably a lot of other people, discretionary income and other. And, and we accuse them of they want to work in a company whose values match their own, right? And and they want to know that the company is promoting sustainability and, and ESG. And it was something that we tagged them with, those people, those millennials. And now it's bigger than that, isn't it? It matters to a lot of people, more people than just that M generation. We'll leave that one there. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guest to send me a quote, a fictional character from a movie or a TV show or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to explain in their own words how they think it does. Carrie Brown has sent one of our favorite quotes, Professor John Keating. I wish I had been in, in a class with him. I know he's fictional. <laughs> the one and only Robin Williams who left us for several reasons way too soon. We'll leave it there. Dead Poet Society, 1989, American TV teen drama film. And I never understood, Carrie, why they call it a teen drama film. I think it's a film for everybody to see. It's not just about teens. And here is the quote, a little bit of Latin. Carpe diem, seize the day, boys, make your lives extraordinary. Carrie Brown, how does this apply to our topic? Go ahead. Well, for one, it, uh, it, it squarely puts me in the Gen X category that Carpe diem is my quote. 
But why I share it is it's something that for me has always been a, a mantra or a motto. But if I look at the expectations that everyone has right now around flexibility that you're talking about, it really is about seize the day, whether it is to care for family or to care for self or to build your career or to make different choices. There's a lot more choice and action being taken to really make a difference and make an impact and make a change. And that I think is true across all the generations much more so than it has been. So I'm seeing I'm seeing that activity happening and you know the numbers are showing that it's true. Um, the carpe diem is really a mantra and a motto for more than just me right now. I think it's a mantra and a motto for everybody who has managed to survive the pandemic and to survive the fallout in whatever direction or ever way it has impacted our lives, whether it's us personally, a people, community, the world. So thank you very much, Carrie. Love that quote. Always happy to see it. Bill Jensen. Oh, I love this quote. It's from Buckaroo Banzai, played by Peter Weller, 1984 American sci-fi film, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, shortened to Buckaroo Banzai. Produced and directed by W.D. Richter. I don't know what the, who these people are. Stars Peter Weller in the title role. And Ellen Barkin. Oh, John Lithgow. Oh, Jeff Goldblum, oh, and Christopher Lloyd, what a cast, centers upon the efforts of the polymath, Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, physicist, neurosurgeon, test pilot, and rock star. How do you fit that all into one <laughs> lifetime? To save the world by defeating a band of interdimensional aliens called the Red, oh, Red, I like that, Red Lectroids from Planet 10. It's a cross between action, adventure, and sci-fi film genres and includes elements of comedy and romance. We'll talk about multi-genres. And here's the quote. No matter where you go, there you are. Oh, Bill Jensen, I love this. Talk. How did you find this? Nobody's ever quoted that movie before. Bill, talk uh, to me. I'm an action-adventure and sci-fi geek, so I love both genres pulled together. But it's about uh, John Lithgow, who comes from another dimension and travels into our current dimension. And we are time-traveling right now, the future now. Uh, it really is about uh, no matter what stuff is thrown at you, uh, no matter where you go, there you are. You have to deal with what's thrown at you. And the whole movie is dealing with that. The same as we're dealing with disruption right now. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And yes, um, I think of uh, the song. What is it? The the famous, uh, it's, I'm thinking of the sculpture, Je pense donc je suis, right? I think, therefore I am. Wherever you go, there you are. Similar thought. Thank you very much. Francis Taplett has sent us a quote from Philip Henslow, played by Jeffrey Rush, major actor. Shakespeare in Love, 1998, romantic period, comedy, drama, directed by John Madden, blah, 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 starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rutch, Colin, Colin Firth, Ben Affleck, and Judy Dench. What a cast! It depicts a fictional love, love affair involving playwright William Shakespeare, played by Joseph Fiennes, and Viola de Lesseps, Ms. Paltrow. While Shakespeare was writing Romeo and Juliet, several characters are based on historical figures. Many characters, lines, and plot devices, of course, allude to Shakespeare's plays. And here is a little six-word quote. I don't know. It's a mystery. I love this. <laughs> Francis, talk to me. How'd you find this one? Well, first, my mother's a Shakespeare professor, so this is partly an ode to her. Um, but second of all, you know, I think there's been, I liked it, you said it, Bill, there's been so much disruption in the last two years, and it's so hard to get our minds behind it. And previously in my career in life, I've tried to use pattern recognition to understand what's going on, and that just doesn't work anymore. I have very little pattern recognition left, and so I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I don't know the answers to the Great Resignation. It is a mystery, but I think if we 
really study and think creatively and use our brains and push ourselves, we'll figure it out and, and we'll do it together. So that was why I picked this quote. I like that. I think you could quote that in almost any situation today. Somebody says, why did you pick those shoes? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> why are we having pasta for dinner? I don't know. It's a mystery. Why would you carry? Why would you wear that wonderful plaid shirt? I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> I, I like that. I think that could be a new mantra. Thank you, Francis. I appreciate that. And Scott has picked a quote from Diamonds from Sierra Leone remix, Kanye West featuring Jay-Z. Boy, talk about two, two, two uh, glitter karate in the world of, of rap and spoken word songs. Hip-hop song from rapper Kanye West is 2005. 2005, that means it's how 17 years ago, the album was late registration, featuring a sample of the James Bond movie theme, Diamonds Are Forever, performed and sung by the wonderful, iconic Shirley Bassey. And here's the line, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. Oh, Scott, I, I researched this. I watched the clip. I said, this is really cool being Scott. Talk to me. How does this apply to our topic? Yeah, so, well, I don't know if you guys all watched the halftime of the Super Bowl, but for me, that was amazing. I mean, I really, I grew up listening to hip hop. I think it's fun and entertaining. And I, I really latched onto this quote a long time ago, and I just thought it was clever at the time. But I think it's definitely representative, I think, of a lot of the themes that we're probably going to bring to the table today, which is we have to be very much self-reliant. Um, when I was listening to a recent commitment, commencement speech uh, for the Farmer School of Business at Miami, I think it was probably two or three years ago now, the preliminary message was you need to recognize that it is CEO you, like you are the CEO of your entity. You are a business. And I thought it was brilliant. And it aligns with this quote, right? Like we are all in charge of our own destiny. Times are changing and we can get into some of these additional reflections here in the discussion. But I think that we have to take ownership and consider ourselves, you know, our own entity that we're in charge of thinking about strategically where we're headed and what we're going to do and why. And so that brings a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of excitement. Very interesting. Responsibility and also a lot of excitement. Yes, when I became an independent broadcaster in mid-2019, I thought, oh, damn, I don't have a paycheck anymore. Nobody's telling me what to do. I don't have KPIs anymore. Oh, my God, I'm not going to miss those. Oh, my goodness, and all that reporting. And then somebody said to me, you are now, it's you. It's Bonnie D. Graham, it's you, it is you, it's your business, you're in charge, you're the CEO, you're the board, you're the decider, you're the stakeholders, what are you going to do about it? And it became very exciting at that point. Instead of an OMG, it became a wow, a lot, lot of pressure, but also a wow, and it's it's been an interesting couple of years. So thank you all for your quotes. I really appreciate the the effort you all put into it and obviously the thought you put into it in bringing the quotes to our topic today. Now we're going to launch into the real purpose of the show, which is our predictions roundtable. I will put the prediction I pick from each of you, and there, there should be several. We have a lot of time left. Carrie Brown, I put your first prediction into the chat. Let me read it just a little bit and then ask you to, ask you to explain or unpack it, as they say on the news. And I will say to Francis and Bill and Scott, if you want to comment briefly on what Carrie says, just raise your hand or wiggle your finger. You don't need to yell at I will see you. I've got you on gallery view. So here's what Carrie says. Greater choice exists from, for many due to life stage is a reality for more workers across the multi-generation workforce. I'm going to stop there, Carrie, and let you unpack this for me. Go ahead. So if you look and had this conversation, say, five, six years ago, 
the demographics of the workforce, we would have been looking at 35, 36% of boomers, 13% Gen X, where I sit, and you would have had about six, seven, you know, 11% of millennials and then a smattering of others at either end. If you look now, you've got in the workforce about 50% millennials and you've got about six or 7% of boomers. You've still got the same 13% of Gen Xers. Think about what those people do in life and what choices they make around when we were talking about family care and life care. When boomers all had teenage kids or kids in college, you're looking at the kinds of choices as a family and a unit that keeps you pretty still. You want some stability and some structure for your family. So you had the largest part of the workforce in a very stable situation for them as a family unit that is predictable for managing costs, supporting going to college, or whatever other choices they needed to make. Where we sit right now is you have the remaining boomers who are working and all the millennials coming up. And as you said, millennials now, the top age of them is 40. But if you think about if they're married, if they've got kids, how old would those kids be? They're just nearing that place where they're going to start to make choices that lock you into a place that you live, that lock you into schools and life and community in a way that you start to become more predictable and static in terms of your movement. So right now you have 50 plus percent of the workforce, at least 40 percent of them still with a lot of choice around where do I live and what do I do. You have people at the end of their careers who have a lot of choice because their kids are now gone. So you have really 60, 70 percent of the workforce saying, I can be anywhere. And with remote work that has accelerated, I really can be anywhere. And so that choice has changed what people want, where they want it, how they want it. And that kind of fluidity has really turned the, you know, the apple cart upside down for where people can get hired and who can be hired and what they can do. And that choice is the individual. You know, and I know Francis is going to mention you know, personal agency. Absolutely. That choice of what do I want to do? Where do I want to do it? How do I want to do it? has really shaped a lot of what I think has, has instigated the great resignation. Thank you very, very much. Very interesting. Um, my title of the show was Take This Job and Blanket. And I think a lot of people finally came to hit that wall before the, the wall hit them. And I have a, a friend who's in the medical profession, hospital-based. I won't tell you who or what or where, but tired of being chewed up by the system and finally said, Sayonara, baby. I'm off to see the world. Carrie can relate to that. I'm going to travel. I'm going to get untethered. I'm going to take whatever wealth I've accumulated and I'm going to learn to spend it a little bit differently without a paycheck, at least for a while. And that's what I'm going to do. Very interesting. And that, that particular person hit home to me because I know them very well. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Bill Jensen, I'm going to read your prediction number one. This is also a long one, but I'm going to just start it here. You say during the next few years, the root cause behind the great resignation will finally change the way we talk about our relationship with work. Bill, unpack, please. I shall. Thank you, Bonnie D. Uh, let me go further upstream. I'm going to divide my answer into two parts. Second part will be about what Bonnie just asked. First part, I was studying for my master's in the 90s, and I was being taught for change management. I was being taught all different models of change from the 50s to the 90s, and I realized all of them are wrong. They all said why, why people change and all that stuff. It was all BS based on ancient technologies, ancient ways of living. What I've learned, I've researched, all my work is research-based. I've interviewed and surveyed over a million people uh, over the globe over the last 35 years. And what I've realized is the biggest change that we need to deal with is the demands on our attention. 
The overload and all the stuff that's coming at us is, is way too much. The most important number of businesses never, ever talked about, it's number 1,440. And that's 1,440 is the number of minutes in a day. And Bonnie, you're doing this well when you MC, you're animated, you're, you know, you're, you're rapping to the intros. We all need to keep, compete for each other's attention. Yes. So the model that we need to start basing everything we're talking about is how do we compete for and how do we earn each other's attention? And what business up until the pandemic never got was that they needed to compete for their employees and workforces time and attention. So that's the preamble. Now, relating to the prediction, the root cause, as Francis has already said, is personal agency. What happened is everybody went home March 2020 and realized, wow, even if I don't like my kids or I don't like doing the laundry or dealing with the dog or whatever it is, I am more in charge of my life. So the real theme that emerged, the root cause, we can talk about KPIs, we can talk about how we structure, we can talk about all sorts of stuff, but it comes down to one thing. Everybody has realized, whether you're lower class, middle class, upper class, doesn't matter, does this job that I wish to do something with it, uh, does this job enable me to have better personal agency, or as said in basic street-level terms, am I more in charge of my own future? Does this job train and develop me and expose me to things where, whether I work here or up the street at ABC company or DEF company, am I able to be here and leave here more in charge of my own future in a very disruptive world? So that is the root cause of everything we're talking about. Thank you. Very interesting. And when you started this discussing your prediction, Bill, you talked about me rapping to the music and all that. I, I came up with a term, I don't know if it's original, but when, when I started with radio years ago, before the pandemic, I talked about, in my own mind, how do you grab ear share? Because I was just doing radio as radio, right, Carrie? You know, it was all, everybody was phoning into the shows. I wasn't, I didn't start moving to Zoom until mid-2020 when I said to myself, what did I wait all these years for? The technology's been there for a few years. Why didn't I just see people? I'm listening. Oh, is Carrie done with her sentence? Oh, oh yeah, I think she's done. Okay, Bill, I, I hope he's listening. I hope he's near us. But yeah, Bill, you're up next. And now I can see you think. But ear share, and now it's eye share, and it's mind share which is a term around a long time. How do you engage people? How do you keep them interested? And that's how I came up with the idea of three-minute roundtables where we keep the voices moving and keep the POVs coming and everybody gets to talk, but a lot of people are talking. So that's, oh God, I've listened to some radio shows where one person is interviewed for an hour and I say, oh, seriously, what couldn't they have said? I'm sorry, in the first five minutes. And a quick I... tip to, to all of those watching, all of us, the, the five of us, all of you, when you do Zoom calls, whether you want it or not, we are all competing for everybody's attention. And it's also part entertainment. So Bonnie does this, but she's taught us to do this. It's animation. It's wave your hand. It's, it's come close. It's, it's speak loudly. It speaks softly. It, you know, part of what we need to do is, like TED Talks have taught us, to be edutainer. Ed, ed, uh, edutainer. Richard Saul Werman coined this ed edutainment. Uh, it's really about relaying important information, but also keeping people's attention. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much. And and that's, I think, what, and we'll talk to Francis in a minute, that's, I think, what job agencies, job people who are offering jobs have to do is get the attention to the people like Carrie who may not be ready for another job, who want to go travel and want to do their thing. How do you get their attention? So gaining attention, keeping attention, retaining attention, earning their attention is important on many levels. Francis, give me a second here. I want to talk about our sponsor for today, and then we'll get to your first prediction, whichever one I put in the chat. So welcoming back fourth week in a row. So happy to have NordVPN. Anybody here using a VPN? Virtual private network? No, not yet. Let me tell you what this is all about. I can access content from over 59, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, Nine. There you go. 59 different countries just by changing my virtual location with one click. Who doesn't love one click? I live in the U.S., obviously, but with NordVPN, I can be anywhere in the world virtually and access content from all of those regions. So that means I can watch a couple of my favorite French language detective shows, which I love because I used to speak a lot of French and now I, I watch them and I'm reading the English. I'm saying, oh, I heard that. Yes, I used to say that. I love L'Art du Crime, The Art of the Crime, and Candice Renoir. She's fabulous. On French streaming services. So if I'm outside the U.S. also, I have access to all of the U.S. streaming services. I will never miss my favorite shows, and I do watch a lot of TV. Geo restrictions are no longer an issue because you, all of you, Francis and Bill and Scott and Carrie, you can change your remote location with one super easy click to you. So here's my call to action. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com, NordVPN vpn.com. And the code for this show is TechRev for Technology Revolution. That's T-E-C-H-R-E-V. So nordvpn.com slash T-E-C-H-R-E-V or use the code TechRev to get a huge discount. They promised me it's huge off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. Who doesn't love free? And Bill, they're even going to give you a bonus gift. How about that? Just because you're a special. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and who doesn't love that? Thank you, NordVPN, for being there for us. We appreciate you. So now let's resume our predictions roundtable. And Francis Taplin, I'm going to your prediction. I've picked number two. Important. You say equity and inclusion of URPs, those are underrepresented populations, is a requirement, not an option. But women, and in particular black and brown women, have been greatly impacted by the pandemic. Great resignation. Talk to me. Francis. Well, thank you. And um, I mean, I think I'll start with saying there's no question that that women have been greatly impacted by the pandemic. I think we talk about that pretty vocally from, you know, articles like the New York Times saying that women are the safety net of America and working mothers are the safety net of America. But I think for black and brown women, it was even harder. Right. I talked about moving home next door to my parents. That was that was my help. Um, but that doesn't exist for everybody. And not everybody has that. That comes from historical redlining and racism. And that's going to be very hard and long term to change. At the same time, we see organizations, you know, waking up finally and realizing that a diversity of thought and a diversity of points of view gets us to better answers, gets us to better, you know, leadership, better work quality. Um, we see customers boycotting organizations that don't have the representation that they expect. You know, Bonnie, you mentioned that uh, millennials are demanding that we live by our ESG and our values. And, and so now I think we're seeing this unbelievable tension in the workplace where we've seen uh, women um, and, and black and brown women leave the workforce in great numbers. Um, 28% of BC, or according to BCG research, 28% of caregivers in the U.S. would leave their job if not giving a given a flexible opportunity. Um, that number is even higher for executive women, 48%. And so we have this 
terrible dynamic and real challenging dynamic around retaining talent that that is feeling very excluded from the workforce. Um, and I think companies are going to realize that they have to do things differently. We have to slow down hiring. We have to change the way we work so that women and underrepresented populations have opportunities for advancement. We can't just bring them in and then let them flail and fail. Um, and it's something that I believe passionately in. It's something that I think Eightfold AI is trying to do. And I think organizations need to, to wake up and jump on the wagon and, and support that as well. Flail and fail. That's a new one for me. Scott is raising his hand. Scott, you want to come in? Go ahead. Yeah, just to follow up on that and also put it in the, the, the context of the great resignation too and highlight an, an issue that we not all need to start contributing to and thinking about. So the more that people are working remotely, and working virtually, theoretically, that should help in terms of equity because research illustrates that females typically more than males have more domestic responsibilities. And research currently is suggesting that when companies are moving from face-to-face -to, -face to hybrid or virtual, it's the females more so than the males that are opting for it. And on the one hand, it could be beneficial because it's giving them the ability to work yet also be a caretaker if they so choose. But we're also starting to be concerned about the fact that it is also going to leave less what's called in-office advantage because those that are face-to-face -face and those that are you know, seeing people and engaging in more political discussions and building trust face-to-face, -face, they might be given more opportunities than those that are virtual. So we've got a problem, I think, that we've got to figure out how to solve. There's kind of a paradox here. It should be more equitable, but it actually might kind of cause a, a problem. I'd be curious if if Francis, if you've if you've kind of seen any of this as well, is that a, a trend you're noticing? Francis? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's too early to really know what the long-term downstream effects are, right? Um, social capital of being in the office hasn't built up enough to really differentiate between mm -hmm. those who are opting to be more flexible. But you're right. Um, there are many statistics that show that women and also URPs are, are tending to opt for flexible working models. I have two words, hybrid equal. If it's not hybrid equal, then it shouldn't be. Unless you don't want everybody to be hybrid, then you should just say, fine, we're all in the office. And we've seen some of the financial institutions say that. But if we're going to have a hybrid model, it has to be hybrid mm -hmm. equal, or we're going to wake up in 10, 20 years and we're going to say, gosh, what happened to all of our diversity? There you go. Bill wanted to comment. Go, Bill, go ahead. I just want to enthusiastically chat tag on that this is a crucial, crucial, whether it's DEI, you know, women, men, whether it's uh, income, whether it's black, white, whatever it is. Uh, McKinsey mid-2021 did a study on positive experiences with COVID work re remote, working remotely. Uh, I pulled up my PowerPoint to, so I could quote it correctly. Uh, male remote workers with dependents, 79% positive. Female remote workers with dependents, 37% positive. In other words, yeah, I took on the mom role at home and I never lost it and it's more intense. And where's the support for me, Mr. Ms. Employer? Absolutely. We really need to change how we're thinking about this. Yep. Great points. Thank you all. Good, good conversation. Thank you. Let's go to Scott. I'm looking at prediction number two. You say... It will, and I'm, I'm interested in this because I don't even know what it means. It will become more socially acceptable for employees to begin engaging in job crafting behaviors and idiosyncratic deal making. Oh, Scott, tell me, what is this about? 
I would, I would love to. <laughs> this is so, this is so fun and interesting in that most of the time we assume organizations or managers within organizations are responsible for designing our work. And that might be specific to tasks or specific to relationships or anything in that domain. And what job crafting entails is employee initiated job design or job redesign where the employee themselves is figuring out what relationships can I create or delete based upon my needs? What responsibilities can I add or subtract based upon my needs? And it comes at what's called a a demands resource approach. So we want more social resources and structural resources. We want to get rid of uh, hindrance demands, but we want to increase challenging demands because those help us learn and grow. So we're doing that as employees. And interestingly, managers don't even know. They have no idea the extent to which people are doing it. And there's a lot of research out there highlighting that it kind of goes on underneath uh, the surface. But I think that it's going to become more possible because we're given, we have more flexibility, whether it's working virtually or just more flexible, where, when, and how. So I think that we're going to see an increase there, which could make it actually a little bit more prevalent or, or present. People see it. The other one, idiosyncratic deal-making, is where employees engage in a some form of formal contract with their employer that has a customized arrangement that works for them that isn't the norm compared to what other employees are getting. So, for example, you know, like teachers might um, uh, share a position in order to have you know, uh, additional responsibilities for family, or you might have individuals customizing seasonality where it's, this is when I work full-time, this is when I work part-time. There is an endless number of iterations. On the one hand, it's inefficient technically for organizations to just dole out idiosyncratic deals to everybody. So they don't want to do it. But on the other hand, it can increase employee retention, employee satisfaction, which in turn leads to more productivity and more long-term sustainability. So I think because of the great resignation and this need for flexibility, you're going to see an increase in both of those. Very interesting. I remember years ago, Scott, I was working for what you would know as a telephone manufacturer, uh, Finland-based, five letters started with N, end with A, but I was working on the software side. I was a marketing manager for them. And I said to, to my manager, I have a live radio show way out on Long Island on Fridays, and I am spending two and a half hours in traffic going from White Plains to West Babylon. Could I possibly work remotely. This was years ago, before Mm -hmm. any of this. Could I possibly work from home on Friday so my commute from my radio show is down to 45 minutes in traffic instead of two and a half hours, including a bridge and a couple major highways? And they said yes. I don't know why, but they said yes. I know, Carrie, and I was able to do that also. Carrie knows that I started business radio working at SAP literally under the radar with a manager who said yes, and nobody else really accepted it. So I was doing two jobs. My passion was talking to smart people and thought leadership radio was a new concept. And I started it. And and 
Carrie, I don't know if you know this, but people were floating my resume around behind the scenes for years trying to find headcount to bring me so I could do it full time. And it took years before somebody said, yes, you can come and do radio full time. I created a second job under the radar and not everybody was happy about it, but it kept growing and growing and growing to everybody's shock and amazement except mine. And I once had a manager say to me, I love what you do, but I have a stomachache because it's not lead gen and I'm going to shut you down if you don't start bringing me leads and I had and then and two months later we were at a, a meeting in, in New York and he looked around his team and said everybody's giving up budget for Bonnie I want to give her $50,000 to do more promos for her radio show same guy a couple months later it, it was like it was like being on the tilter world you weren't were to tilter world at the, or the ferris wheel you weren't sure which way the wind was blowing or where the where the world was going to go at any moment in time but this was almost like a cottage industry that I grew from almost nothing over 10 years. And I'm just amazed. And, and Scott, some of us call that entrepreneurship, I think, where you're, you're entrepreneuring inside of a company on a paycheck, something different and new. Did anybody else have any comments while I get my light to go back on? Bill, did you want to say something? Go ahead. Yeah, I had a question for Scott. So is this the model you're talking about? Is it like, let's say, Uber or Lyft or DoorDash, where the incentives, if we have a need, we incentivize you. You're in charge of your daily routine and your schedule. You decide when to sign on and sign off, but we incentivize you to, to go do it. Is, is that part of what you're talking about? Yeah, you could think of it as a continuum, and that would probably be the more extreme end of the continuum that essentially is a results-only focus as opposed to an hour-only focus. And I'd be an advocate of that, especially in a lot of the knowledge worker type environments, right? If I can do 10 times as much as somebody else in the same amount of time, why should I have to work that much more? And, and here's the other part that I think is going to be really interesting. As we get more organizations saying it's time for everybody to come back face-to-face, I think that's actually going to end up being more of a suggestion than what it is a mandate. And here's why. What I'm seeing is most managers are unwilling to lose really talented employees who are being forced to come back to the office when there's no need to. They've been just as productive as what they were before. The results are there, if not better. And now you want me to waste five hours a week doing commute? It doesn't make sense. And most managers say, I'm not doing that. <laughs> And that may be part of what Francis talked about, hybrid equal is, but you weren't here. Yes, I was. You saw me. I was talking to you. I want to move on, get some more predictions in here. We've got 13 minutes left. Let's see what we can do. Quick, quick, beat, beat. Carrie, prediction number three, pensions are dead. I'm just going to stop there and let you talk about that. What? Talk to me. Well, if you look around, there's only probably about 5 to 7% of organizations that still have pensions outside of the government. And so when you think about the populations as people are moving through and making choices, you know, pensions were a golden handcuff. They were a way to keep people at an organization for a long, long time. I suspect no one on this call has a pension that is still active and alive. And if you look at all the organizations you're speaking with, you know, anyone who's hiring or looking to be hired, pensions are not part of the conversation anymore. So when you consider that the average tenure of the workforce is sitting at 3.8 years, that's going to stay there and or get faster because the need for us to stay isn't there. There's not a, a reason to stay other than a want. And so when you look at mid and longer term incentive plans, I think organizations are going to continue to be challenged. You know, I look right now, I'm talking to lots of organizations, growth organizations, mature organizations. And in all of them, particularly in the growth organizations, they're just figuring out how to get people you know, round one, 
Keeping people is the challenge. That's also true for mature organizations. So I think we'll see a lot of growth and a lot of change and a lot of continued revamping of what mid and long-term incentives look like in order to keep people long enough to have an impact. You know, one is how do you get them in, get them productive and get them useful as quickly as possible. When you think of, if you're only gonna have them for three to four years, you need them to be firing on all cylinders as soon as possible. But how do you keep them after that five-year mark for six or seven years to really get the magnification of capabilities or impact that that person can have based on the knowledge they have in an organization. Thank you. Used to be that five-year cliff. I remember putting a calendar on my door for a job I particularly hated. And I said, when do I get to five years? What's the date so I can get vested? Remember the vested, the profit sharing, whatever it was? Yes, I remember that. Uh, pensions. Oh, and that's changing God. a lot. There's organizations yeah. now where you vest every month. It's not what? a matter of keeping you locked in. Yeah. I was born too soon. Let's go to Bill. Bill Jensen, two minutes. Bill says employers will encounter two levels of bottom-up pressures from the haves and the have-nots. Bill, explain, please. Well, Francis, this ties directly to the inequality that you spoke of. Uh, it is about personal agency. I'm in charge of my future regardless of who I'm working for. But super simplified, well, so all of society is very complex, but if I super simplify it to haves and haves nots, the, the high-end, highly educated, highly skilled knowledge workers will be more overt in pushing for their personal opportunities. What's in it for me? How is this developing me? How is this keeping me current? Uh, now, that's the high-end, highly skilled A-type players. Then there's a lot of the rest of the workforce that are not as well skilled, not as well educated, they are going to, you're going to see a massive amount of distrust towards the system because we're basically screwing them and they know it. So we're super simplified. The whole issue is very complex, but super simplified. There's going to be two areas of that we need to be worrying about satisfying the people that understand they have personality personal agency and are interested in developing it better, faster, stronger, and those that feel screwed by the system and don't feel any personal agency and are just leaving, quitting, not trusting, disengaged. And we're going to have to address both of those at the same time. Thank you very much. Great, Bill. That's why they call you Mr. Simplicity there, or why you call yourself and we accept that. Francis Taplet, prediction number three. This is interesting. Francis proposes talent needs to be measured by skills, not history, not degrees, not etc. And matching skills to roles will help lure people back to the workforce. Francis, two minutes. What do you think? Perfect. Well, I think, I mean, this is, I think, at the heart of how we're going to keep people in the workforce, but the dynamics have changed, right? It's, we need to try to make the organization a meritocracy, and this builds on my point earlier on um, underrepresented populations, as we've historically looked at, you know, what school did you go to? What was your first job? And that decided the trajectory you were on, and I think that's no longer... That's no longer relevant, and it's not fair, and it's not where the organizations need to go and where people are going to go. Also, we're seeing careers are jungle gyms now. They are not ladders. And so we need a way to understand the skills that people are building on those jungle gyms. I go back to what you just said, Bill, and, and talking about these two different populations and how do we understand where people are and how do we develop them and how do we give them what they want, but also for those who've been left out of the workforce, 
how do we understand what they have to offer? And so I think talent acquisition individuals and managers in roles need to start looking at the skills people have developed, not the places they've been and measure them as such. And then we need to give people opportunities to develop those skills. And I think, you know, technology can help us with that. Better managers can help us with that. And a focus will help us with that. Better managers. That's a whole show in itself. Better Next managers. <laughs> I, maybe, just maybe, maybe we need to resume and do part two of this. I, I would like that, actually. Let's go to a couple more predictions. Uh, let's see, we got eight minutes left. Let's see if we can squeeze in. Scott Dust, prediction number four. This is a new term. I had to look it up. You know that organizations will be begin investing more resources in asynchronous communication and asynchronous learning and development. I think we've been talking about it without using those terms. So Scott, predict, please. Yeah. So you have to think of all the different ways that we can communicate as being on a continuum of richness of communication to less rich. And in less rich, you can do it quickly and it can be very efficient. Where on the other hand, face-to-face, for example, is the most rich and lots of context and lots of emotional cues and and nonverbals. And so we have to start thinking along the lines of being able to customize the type of communication medium to whatever the goal is that we're trying to accomplish. And when we moved into more virtual work, the amount of asynchronous communication went through the roof. There was a recent study uh, recently that was published in, I think it was in Nature and Microsoft employees, they did a pre, or they did a pre and post, essentially looked at 60,000 employees to see the difference in communication patterns. And for the most part, the team still did really well and stayed intact and still communicated just as much, if not more, but they were using asynchronous communication. And so this push towards where should people work and how should people work, it really shouldn't be about that. It should be about what is the job? What are you trying to accomplish? And how can we maximize the output and the well-being of the individuals based upon that specific job? And so what people should be using more of is asynchronous communication, especially when you have people spread out working all different times of day in different places and in different time zones. So that I think is going to be something that people are going to realize they should be using more of and leveraging more. As a professor, I'm using it all the time now. I have it as a core part of all of my face-to-face classes. Everything has an, an asynchronous component that they could use. Organizations could be doing the same thing. Thank you, Francis. Briefly, talk. I would just, I I agree and I echo all of that. I think there's too much focus and return to work on we have to get everybody back. And really it's why, what do we need to be back for? And I think asynchronous is a great way to be hybrid equal, going back to my earlier point. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that I haven't figured out, and this is another show for you, Bonnie, is how do you develop and, and mentor really young people? who do need that synchronous face-to-face. They don't know how the workplace works. They haven't built this sort of uh, relational capital to to know who to connect with, to know what the networks are. That's the piece that I'm still um, perplexed by. Okay, and let's see if we can unperplex you on a future show. (laughs) Carrie, I want you to get the last word here. We got two minutes for you. Carrie's prediction number four is reflection, renewal, and reinvention will continue to fuel the great resignation throughout 2022 with ripple effects for at least the next few years. Carrie, two minutes, talk. You know, resilience continues to be tested by COVID. And I think when you look at the reliance and almost the take for granted that some people have described historically in organizations is something that organizations are going to have to continue to fuel how to keep an employee, how to build an employee, both personally and professionally. 
interestingly, France, when you talk about how to build that, that relational capital for the young talent, I built a team of 25 around the world during 2021. And those people never met. But the gift, I think, to actually hybrid equal is when it used to be rare to get somebody in the room to be together, you can give people a remote opportunity to participate in something that in the past they wouldn't have had that opportunity to do. And so I think it's things like that where organizations and people look for how can we do something we couldn't do before in a way that will give me an opportunity to grow, to learn, to to improve, that gives me the chance to think that where I am is where I want to be and, and to stay there a little bit longer. When I look at the prediction of how long we're going to have this kind of churn, honestly, I think we're going to have at least this much churn for probably the next five to 10 years. And that goes back to where we started with choice, that people are going to continue to shift and change. And that personal agency we all have right now is really giving us the opportunity to pick and choose where we want to be and make the best choices for ourselves and for our organizations. Thank you, Carrie. And while you were saying that, I'm thinking that we don't always know where we want to be and what we want to be doing. And isn't that part of this churn and part of this shift is it is a new world. It is new way, a new work order, if you will. If there's any order to work at all, I might want to try something different next year. I might want to be hybrid equal. I might want to go to an office if I had an office to go to. So we don't know. And I think that's the who do I want to be when I grow up, we used to say. I think that flux in thinking and experiencing what you're doing, with whom you're doing it, what the outcome of what your job is, what impact you make, what values you have, the world is changing by the nanosecond right now. I think we just, a lot of us just don't know. And that's going to change, right? The, the personal agency is, it might not be a straight and narrow line anymore. It might be I'll decide, oh, I have a better idea. I want to do something else next year. So I think that's that flux, that personal thought process of how am I responding to what? Carrie, you want to make one comment? Go ahead. I did. When I look at why I invited the people on this call in, it's because they're trying to figure out that answer. Everyone is. So Eightfold is trying to figure out how do people find, like, how do I learn what I don't know about what's out there? How do people get connected and network? When I look at Cloverleaf, the team that I built, we were trying to get people to learn how to work together who'd never meet. So I think this group is all of the kinds of integrated pieces that we're trying to put together to answer that question you just pointed out. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You want to all come back for part two in a couple months? You think? Absolutely. And we'll change the title a little bit. We can change the title a little bit. Mentoring or workforce of the next five years. Maybe we want to focus on that. Who will who will be the ones who will be maybe filling our roles or will be following in our footsteps or leading us? Ah, there you go. Whoever expected a millennial, we were bad-mouthing them, and now they're our bosses in some cases. Nobody's my boss. And my sister, my late sister used to say, you're not the boss of me. I never forget that. Kay, I love you. Anyway, a couple things. Sponsor, NordVPN. Thank you so much. Here's the exclusive deal. Go to Nord, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com forward slash TechRev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V. I can spell and you can too. Or use the code TechRev to get a huge discount. Bill, that's for you. Off your NordVPN plan plus one month free, additional, and a bonus gift. Completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. I want to thank Carrie. Everybody, round, round of applause for Carrie. Carrie Brown, you rock always, dear. I'm always thrilled to have you. And Carrie, I love working with you on great ideas for this show. So I appreciate you and I appreciate Bill. Love to, lovely to see you for the first time and have you back. Francis, you're invited back. Scott, you're invited back. Let's get this group 
going again. And now I want you all to wag your finger here. I have a homework assignment for you right now. It's a pop up. <laughs> and if somebody says to you, the future is already here. Come on, Carrie, you've done this before. Scott, Bill, come on. The future is already here on the count of three. I want you to all say no, no, no. One, two, three. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Why? Because that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to do our best to make it a so much better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you, Erin Keller, our engineer. Everybody wave goodbye to LinkedIn and to Facebook and to Voice America. Stick around panel. We'll say goodbye afterwards. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh